Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Nina Chen, founder and CEO of the Harvest Education Technical College. It's great to have you along today, and I think you will find this conversation with Nina Chen incredibly inspiring. She's a young woman who has achieved incredible things in her career at a very early age in terms of building her business, HETC. She's got a fascinating story, and I think you'll thoroughly enjoy what she has to say. Before I introduce Nina to you properly, let me introduce myself for those people who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any recruitment needs within your business, I'd welcome the opportunity to have us talk to you about that. Let me now introduce to you, Nina Chen. Nina Chen was born in China. Both of her parents were teachers and they wanted to move to Australia to create a better quality of life for their daughter. After moving here, they worked in menial jobs in order to create an environment for Nina to go to high school. And at that time, she became very passionate about being able to create a far better life, firstly for her parents and then for the broader community. After completing business qualifications at QT, she started her own training business, HETC, which has now grown to two campuses with over 3,000 domestic and international students. Nina is very passionate about helping those less fortunate, as well as her business, HETC, operating here in Australia. She is constantly working on ventures overseas to help third world countries. Nina lives in Brisbane with three young children. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Nina Chen. Well, Nina, it's uh, great to have you along today on the Arate podcast. We're sitting here in your office out at uh, Logan Road. It's a beautiful yeah. uh, spring day out there. Um, thanks very much for joining us. Perhaps just to begin with, let the listeners know a little bit about your professional uh, responsibilities currently. Yeah, thanks Richard. Um, and yes, welcome to the campus. Ah. Um, um, so I'm Nina Chen, I'm the CEO and as well as the founder for HETC, which mm-hmm. stands for Harvest Education Technical College. Um, I found at HETC in 2004, but back then it was a tutoring centre. Uh-huh. So um, that was, um, and it stood for, um, back then, HETC, um, Harvest Educational Tutoring Centre. Okay. So also HETC. Um, that was because I, I have always been very passionate about helping people to reach their maximum potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and my passion was to really help people um, in the tertiary sector when I started this company um, um, founded this company in 2004 Mm -hmm. um, to help uh, mature age students to really reach their full potential because we talked about about helping you know children and kids and nurture them and mold them a lot but I think 
um, a lot of time there um, is a lost um, generation out there which are mm-hmm. mature age students um, okay. who, who needs that help as well. So that's how I started HEDC. Right. Yeah. And so you were providing tutoring to support mature age students who are already at university yes. uh, to just uh, study and get better results. Absolutely. Right. And where yes. did the harvest come from as a, you know, in the title? Um, that is an interesting one. So um, for those who don't know, I basically started Harvest um, when I was um, in Steel, was in Steel University. Yeah. So um, back then, you know, studying a Bachelor of Business, mm-hmm. um, one day I remember driving from university um, back to my home um, on the road. I w- suddenly I just um, had an idea that... I want to start something. Right. Um, and I had other reasons to want to start something. I said, I just want to start a move. It doesn't mean that it has to be a business, but I just wanted to start a project, mm-hmm. something to help the students. And because I had my own frustration of um, how the cur- the previously current education system wasn't really helping those mature age students. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden... Um, a statement, I know this might sound weird, but a statement just flew across my mind, which is, this is the year of harvest. Okay. You know, and and I said to myself, and basically, um, what does that mean? And because of my um, religion, I'm a Christian. Yeah. You know, um, I went home and I opened up the Bible and it's in the Proverbs. Um, Open up Proverbs and it had the word harvest in it, and which is, this is the year of harvest for you. That means right. that you plant something, um, you're going to get a return on it. You reap the rewards yeah, of your you hard reap, work. Exactly. So I um, named it because okay. of that moment and... Literally that day, I made a decision that I will start a business. Oh, good for you. <laughs> and we'll talk a lot more about the evolution of HETC a little later, but just yep. for um, give us an idea of the scope of the business now in terms of size and geographical locations, number of employees and so on. Yep. So um, we now have got um, two campuses. Okay. Um, t- um, tailoring the needs to a 1,000 and more international students and yep. also 2,000 and plus um, domestic local students, okay. as in local Australian citizens. Yes. Um, we've got 85, around 85 full-time permanent staff mm-hmm. who's currently working within the campus and mm-hmm. within the campus, um, not including the, you know, offshore and um, the, 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 um, the small number of casual staff, which mm-hmm. is not currently working um, on campus, but okay. have flexible working arrangement and things like that. Um, and yes, and right. Then, yes. And all of the education is delivered on campus, or do you have uh, remote education as well? Yes, we've got. Basically, we believe in um, blended learning because okay. we believe in customizing the learning experience for the users of the learning experience, mm-hmm. which are the students. So we do have students can choose to come to campus, have that you know daily interaction. Mm-hmm with their peers and trainers, or they can do um, 25%, you know, um, learning at home online Mm -hmm. and then have 75% here, so that's blended, or they can do it completely um, online, or they can do it completely online and choose on a random basis, pop up and receive support and help. Right. Yeah. Um, Good. So, um, and it's now a lot broader than purely supporting uh, existing university students. Absolutely. We've totally changed that. So... 
started, as I said, um, with a, being a tutoring centre, um, uh, one office, um, yeah. the size of um, less than 50 square metres. Right. Um, in a corner that nobody knows <laughs> about <laughs> it. Um, I remember I got that. Uh, it was quite easy for me to got that lease because nobody wanted to lease that place for the past four years oh, because right. of its yeah. um, location because okay. nobody, you know, it's not um, a fancy right. kind of location. Sure. Um, so, yes, um, and then from, from there, um, we basically grew to university-appointed tutoring mm-hmm. centre. And one day, my university student talked to me and said, Nina, you're doing all of these things. I was writing all the materials um, to support the students. Mm-hmm. Um, I was writing all the mock exams mm-hmm. to mirror mm-hmm. the university exams to help them to practice gain confidence. Mm-hmm. And say, so you're doing all of these things, right? And all of my students, like, I, I have a must-pass guarantee. Mm-hmm. So if you fail after tutoring with me right. for more than seven, um, if you have already tutored with me for seven hours or more, yeah. if you fail, it's full, fully refunded. Wow. I was very fortunate that I never had to refund anything because okay. all of my students not only passed, but yeah. they achieved my average grade for all of my students were credit and above. That's excellent. So, and then, so... That conversation began with the student and I said, um, yeah, you, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of things which um, goes under the accredited course framework. Um, therefore, I am going to pull together what I have written so far in terms of course materials, curriculum and learning and teaching strategies. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I am going to submit them to the Destinator Authority, which, um, you know, was um, it wasn't ASCO then, but it was the Department of Education and Training. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I did that in 2007. They took about 12 months to assess the application, and I got my registration in 2008. Okay. Yeah, and became um, an international registered college. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, well, we'll talk more about that uh, a little later, but let's get right back. Let's go to where it all began now. Tell us about uh, you know where you were born and mum and dad and your early life that led you to this uh, you know where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I was um, born in PR China uh-huh. um, in a very small um, but capital city mm-hmm. um, in um, not a lot of people know about it um, in Guangxi Province uh-huh. of China, which is on the south side of China mm-hmm. near Kentong, okay. Guangzhou, which a lot yes. of people know as um, one of the first tier cities in mm-hmm. China. Um, uh, so I was born in a little city that's called Nanning, mm-hmm. um, and uh, my dad came to Australia right. um, first and explored the culture of Australia and really liked it and decided to stay here. So how old were you when he came here? Um, I was five. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. And I what was... sort of work was he doing in China prior to that? So both of my parents are teachers okay. in high school. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. in senior high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my dad was um, a music and PE teacher. Uh-huh. And my mum was um, a literacy, right. a Chinese literacy, okay. um, literacy teacher. 
teacher. And yeah. why did your dad choose Australia versus another country to go and explore? I think because he had a, um, it was a very simple reason that he had one uncle that was okay, in right. Sydney. Okay. So that's why he, he, he and he didn't have, um, and it's very rare to have families overseas in China. Yes. Not a lot of people. Back then, I mean, now right. after the World Trading Organization have mm -hmm. opened up the, the doors of China, um, there's more, you know, people traveling in and out. Mm -hmm. um, but back then, there was, it was a very rare opportunity okay. that um, a Chinese person can, you know, fly to a foreign country, and it was, um, and he did wanted to explore opportunities for me, so mm -hmm. he did it for me. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, how long was he here for before the rest of the family came over? Five years. Oh, for five years. Yes. Yeah, wow. So I remember, um, and back then. Um, there wasn't any. Um, there were there was phones, but then you have to go. You have to walk about thirty minutes to get to a phone office in right. China to talk to my dad. So I remember writing the letters and only um, um, talk to my dad once a year okay. during you know Chinese New Year celebrations, or right. or I could choose at my birthday or uh -huh. in his birthday. So okay. but only once a year because right. it was that expensive. Sure. Um, so yeah. And so for that five years that he was here, was he? What sort of work was he doing then? So um, he was initially started studying mm -hmm. um, uh, English as his second language. Oh, yeah. um, but however, very soon, within six months, um, he ran out of money. Okay. Because of um, and so he had to work and mm -hmm. study. Mm -hmm. So he um, because of his lack of um, English speaking and also writing and reading skills, he couldn't. Be, continue to be a teacher like mm -hmm. what he was in China. So I'm um, very proud of my dad. Um, he basically picked up a brand new skill, which right. was being a chef. Okay. So brand new from scratch. He he never really cooked as mm -hmm. much. You know, he has cooked, but not really cooked as much um, at home. Right. Because my mum does all the lovely cooking. Yes. Um, but uh, I'm just very proud of him that he picked up uh, like a skill, uh -huh. um, and he was one of the best chefs um, in Sydney, as right. what I've heard. Yeah. And and <coughs> specifically Chinese food, or a, yes, right. Chinese food only. Right. Okay. Yeah. And when you were still in China, what was the sort of the sentiment from the community about the fact that your dad had moved to Australia? Were people supportive of that, or was that? seen as a good thing or a negative thing? Um, from my mum's perspective, um, work did support her in terms of giving her more flexible um, hours of teaching and not assigning night classes okay. to her. Because, because she's a single parent. That's right. Right, okay. Um, because, um, you know, in China, school goes from um, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Wow. Yes. So, um, and so that she could look after me, but... From my perspective, as uh, you know, um, a child mm -hmm. in in my school, um, I did um, you know get bullied because I didn't have a dad. Right. That, okay. Uh, I didn't have a dad that turns up that uh -huh. turn up to events, and right. also, um, you know, my dad wasn't there for a long time. Mm -hmm people started to say, oh, you don't have a dad at all. Your right, dad okay. um, don't want you anymore, which okay. I knew that it was totally not true because I talked to him at sure. least once a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, But it, it, it was not easy. 
Yeah, mm. it wasn't easy. And so what happened after five years to mean that you would you then moved to Australia as a family? Um, something happened which was the um, Tiananmen Square event on mm. July the 4th. I remember. Yes, um, and that's when the Australian government was kind enough to offer um, permanent residency for all the students that were residing in Australia. Right. So that happened and therefore my father immediately gained permanent um, residency okay. um, status in Australia and from that moment he then could invite us to Australia otherwise right. there was no way that they allowed family to visit and we didn't have the money for it either. Right so, and, yeah. and so were that not to have happened was mm -hmm. the intention that he would eventually move back to China? Um, yes so if that have not um, happened he would be probably um, you know once he's um, happy about about his um, English okay. and everything, and um, the plan was that he had to move back. Right. But um, his intention was always seeking for opportunities for me, so even if he didn't have the chance to gain the residence mm -hmm. in Australia, he was thinking that when I get older, you mm -hmm. know, um, he want to stay here until I get old enough and then and organise a school, like a visa or uh, something, so that visa. I can, you know, study and right. get exposed to better education, okay. basically. Okay. Yeah. So you were about 10 when you moved here? Yes. Right. And so went into, what, a local primary school? Not immediately. Right. Um, because um, back then there was not a lot of um, support services for um, migrants or people that didn't speak um, English as their first language. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't know how to access a lot of things, including school, mm -hmm. right? So, um, in so I didn't enter school immediately, but um, um, it took a couple months. Okay. Um, and was your dad still in Sydney or in Brisbane at that no, time? No, he moved um, to Brisbane. Right. Okay. Yes, um, because of another job offer that he right. had in okay. Brisbane, uh -huh. um, got headhunted. Um, and believe that Brisbane is a nice, you know, um, calm right. and relaxing city and good for family, basically. Okay, so you moved here to Brisbane, yeah. uh, and prior to going to school, you had that experience. And how long did that go for? Um, I think, I rem I don't remember it exactly, but it was a, a while. It was um, basically waiting for about six, eight months. Okay, yeah. okay. So what grade was it that you eventually went into the school system in? Um, I remember I went in a, um, into a, the end towards the last term of grade five and going on to grade six. Okay. I don't know what happened, but there wasn't grade seven back then. It was like after six and then I went into high school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's what I remembered. Right, yeah. okay. And uh, Dad's still working as a chef? Not anymore. Right. They, both of them have um, retired. I know, I mean then, at that time? Oh, yeah, at that time, yes. Okay, and what about your mum? Did she find work here? Um, she did find work, um, and it was a, um, very harsh labour work. It okay. was whatever she could get to right. help to pay the, the yeah. bill and uh -huh. things like that. So we're talking about um, domestic cleaning. Okay. Um, we're talking about heavy machinery, cut, um, you know, cutting. Right. Um, anything that basically earned a bit of money. Okay. And allowed her to work um, under, you know, and, and accepted the fact that she couldn't speak English. Right. Yeah. Oh, cool. And so um, uh, when you went to high school, 
uh, were you, did you also have sort of part-time jobs at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I pretty much became financially in, independent um, very, very young um, by the age, I would say, not fully independent at 14, but started at 14 and right. then absolutely um, independent by um, 16 and a half. Right. And yeah. doing what kind of work? I do um, a lot of things, so yeah. I don't. Um, I think that I've always had um, no less than five jobs at a time <laughs> while studying <laughs> as well. Right. So I did waitressing. I did. Um, I cleaned as uh-huh. well. Um, uh, dormitory cleaning. Right. I um, did piano tutoring because okay. I know how to p- um, p- piano. Yeah. I did um, tutoring in Chinese, mm-hmm. um, in math, in everything that I believe that I am better than right. <laughs> others is, with. And this is while you're at high school and having yeah. to do your homework and so on as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How much how much did you sleep? Uh, I, I still slept um, I still slept a lot. Mm. I, I'm quite good with um, organizing time and also I utilize my weekends very well. Okay. So right. yes. Um, and um, also at the age of seventeen I also joined the Bank of Queensland as okay. a teller. Right. So I pretty much have worked um, a lot of, like, I also been doing, you know, have done filing work, okay. receptionist, whatever that I... Sure. Yeah, can, yeah, I remember looking at the Korea Mail, um, Korea One newspaper yes. back then was very popular, like nearly every week. The first thing I do is pay 50 cents, it right. costs 50 cents, and then get that, and then I would start to look which one would get me higher <laughs> hourly rate, you right. know, because um, my my aim back then was to save enough money so that I could go to um, the largest economy in the world, which is US, and do study there right. and support myself. Okay. So I was able to achieve that, um, uh-huh. but it, it required me a lot of planning, for planning and right. saving up because I had to look after, I have to contribute to the bills of mm-hmm. the house, I had yep. to look after myself. And also, I had to save enough money so that um, I could go to US. Right. Yeah. So you finished high school. Yeah. You're working at Bank of Queensland. Yeah. Full time. No. Um. Three days. Three days. Yeah. And uh. And so, how did the US? When did that fit in? So that um that was once I completed my um second year uni. Okay. Um. I enter into um an exchange program. Okay. Um, so there, um, I chose um, the Silicon Valley, right? Um, because my major was finance back uh-huh. then. Yeah. Um, so I um, apply for University of San Jose for mm-hmm. a semester. Okay. Um, and um, back then, San Jose was the most expensive um, city in terms of living costs in the entire world. Wow. Yeah. And how long were you there for? I was there for about a month. A month. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that was sort of in a, a university holiday period. Yes. Right. No, I was in there for a whole semester. Yeah. As an exchange student. Oh, and okay. Then in, and then was there also um, in the holiday period. Oh, I've yeah. got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so was that because uh, you did your undergraduate degree at QT, didn't yes, you? Yes. And did. so they recognised the learning that you did in the US as part of your degree. Yes, as exam uh, credit transfer. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And and uh, and so then. You're getting towards the end of your university qualifications, and that's when you first started to think about HETC. Uh, yes, um, 
Yes, absolutely. As um, I've I've shared, I wanted to start something. Yeah. So, and when that statement of this is the year of have to pop out, that day I've decided I'm going to start my own business. Mm -hmm. And I actually went down to think about, all right, what is it going to be? Because Mm -hmm. I didn't decide that it was education on that day. I said I wanted to start a business to Mm -hmm. help uh, people and to make me to so that I have a purpose in my life Mm -hmm. a vision in my life so I had a look at okay um, what are the biggest industries and so I looked at you know um, the top um, industry that I looked at was health Mm -hmm. you know and medicine right you know that's always you know it doesn't matter what economic crisis you have that's always you know unmoved um, unshaken Mm -hmm. In fact, it booms during that season. I had a look at um, the next um, biggest industry that I can see that is unshaken by economic crisis is weapons. Right. Obviously, I'm not going to go that way. Right. <laughs> I was just looking at the biggest industries. Yeah. And then um, there was a third one, which was education. Mm-hmm. And after thinking about it, analyzing where do I want to spend the rest of my life mm-hmm. and and that was how committed I was. If I'm going to start something, I will... It's not going to be a temp thing. It's mm-hmm. not going to be like, oh, I feel like it and uh, I don't feel like it now. Mm. It was going to be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I wanted to build a purpose, a, a, a vessel, like a platform mm-hmm. um, to reach my vision. So I've chose education right. at the end. Okay. Yeah. And uh, at that stage, I mean, you're still a very young person now, but you're a very young person then. Yeah. What, what do you think it was that brought out this entrepreneurial spirit in you? Was it yeah. something innately, you know, part of, uh, you know, your the way that you were brought up by your parents? Or mm. were there some things that happened in your life that just, you know, started to feed the flame of entrepreneurship? Uh, how did yeah. all that all happen? I think... Um it's not. It's definitely not the way that um, I have been raised, but rather the the environment that I have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. So what, why I say that is that both of my parents are very, very traditional. All their, all my life, um, and all their their life, they've hypnotised me with just finish a degree right. and marry a rich husband. <laughs> and that's going to go say. With that one? <laughs> well, I, I. I um, I didn't believe in that. Right. <laughs> in that they wanted to, you know, do matchmaking, and oh, they okay. did. Right. Um, you know, um, and and they believed that was um, happiness. You know, right. they wanted. They they said, you know, we brought you good, you know, good education. You know, we brought you to Australia to re- receive really, you know, good education, so that you know you can be very talented. But then I say, why do I need to be so talented? And he said, oh, because that then you you can marry a rich husband. Right. <laughs> that was a funny thing, and I never used to get that. But they, but that's very traditional, typical Chinese family uh-huh. that uh, they just want their daughters mm-hmm. to be looked after by, mm-hmm. you know, a very capable. Mm-hmm. Um, Resourceful, right? Um, uh, husband yes. and and the husband will then eventually look after the family of okay. the. Uh, of, that's how sort of like traditionally works sure. in in, yeah. in China, being a community country, mm-hmm. based country. So totally um, didn't get that, right? And um, while respecting their their values, mm-hmm. um, I I saw that you know. Um, how difficult it was for them being employees um, by the hour doing hush labor jobs mm-hmm. um, 
my parents back then were being paid about um, $3 an hour. Um, I, I believe um, they must have been exploited mm -hmm. um, because they couldn't speak any English and they will not make a noise, they won't complain, mm -hmm. they don't know the law system, the legal system, they don't know that fair work exists, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it was looking at them in huge debt. Um, I remember my mum, on a daily basis before she finished her job, would sit next to the bed and would, back then there wasn't any ATM cards or whatever, it was a little book. Yeah. Um, pocket, um, mm -hmm. bank pocket, and then I remember she used to write how much she spent and how much went into the bank, and she used to show me, said, look, you know, we're 2% there, right. <laughs> kind of thing, you know, we've got, we still have to pay off 98% kind yeah. of thing, you know, yeah. kind of thing, and I used to look at that, and I used to think there's no ending, there is no hope, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and it was very, very stressful for both of my parents. Mm -hmm. um, my parents worked really long, 12 to 14 hours. They were never home. I, I was always home by myself. Mm -hmm. um, and one day, this is um, quite personal, um, my, my dad just, he has to relieve the stress. So he went and took all of the money that we had in our saving account and went to TAB and gambled it right. and he lost it all mm. and I remember that took us years to save up to mm -hmm. pay off the debt you know in the house and everything and I remember just sitting on the floor just feeling numb couldn't I didn't know how to react to it mm. I remember crying rolling my eyes out and then all of a sudden I told myself this is not going to work mm. I need to do something about this mm -hmm. so I made it my first mission to save my parents out of their misery and, and, and debt free mm -hmm. and create financial freedom from them. Um, and then when I did it, you know, I, I said, hey, you know, this feels fantastic. I want to help more people. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to educate people about um, financial planning. I want to educate people about business skills. I want to help people. Um, not in those areas, but in every areas. Mm. So my passion, my vision just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. My desire grew bigger. The more people I helped, the more determined I was. And it was just an unstoppable passion that I just wanted to help more and more people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. So you start this little business on uh, 2004. Yes. And it, there's been exponential growth you know, since then, in the last sort of 12 years. Yes. What, what were some of the key milestones along that period? Yes, um, there were there were many. Um, first, of, first of all, you know, um, starting a business, paying rent. I had to work, you know, um, five jobs at certain point in time, I remember seven, to pay, to continue with the business. So the right. business did not make much money yeah. um, in the first two, three years mm -hmm. um, because, um, um, tutoring was one-on-one, one-to-one. One. Right, yeah. And that was very difficult. I remember I was charging 28 bucks an hour, mm -hmm. students, because mm -hmm. I wanted people to access it. Mm -hmm. If I increase the price too much, they wouldn't be able to access it, afford it. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously I didn't have any funding from the government or whatever to help these people. Um, and I was paying like, you know, tutors 20, $23 an hour. So I was only making about two, three right. bucks. Yeah. 
after tax it was nothing. So it, um, um, what had happened was that that um, grew then very large because we were the monopoly. Mm-hmm. I, th- I remember having 200 students and of having about you know 80 casual tutors. Right. It was um, really um, difficult to manage and I could not see me reaching my vision to influence positively to a lot of people using mm-hmm. that model. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first thing, the trigger point is for, for um, back then was in 2000, um, after a year and a half, I said, is this the strategy which I want to work with? Mm. You know, it, it's definitely something that is not going to work. Mm. So I started to look into um, the World Wide Web, mm-hmm. into how it, I could leverage of that. So I remember I I started even back then, like in 2005, to create um, a lot of online content and mm-hmm. resources and remember pitching it to a lot of business partners and a lot of reputable people in the education industry where I walked around um, literally door knocking influencers in, mm-hmm. in the space, in, yeah. in Brisbane educators. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them tell me that education will never go online in, right. in, in Australia because that you're never going to take that people mm-hmm. um, factor yeah. out of education. And mm. I remember saying, but then how do you scale it up? How mm-hmm. do you provide accessibility? How do you help more people? I remember selling all the course content that I have created around mm-hmm. to different colleges, mm-hmm. to different RTOs, to different education agencies, providers, lecturers, whoever, and everybody just slammed the door in my face. Right. You know, um, and I guess it was a good thing that then my students said, hey, you know, you're doing exactly what um, RTOs and university are doing. Why don't you just start your own? Mm-hmm. And that was very helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the trigger point. Right. So, and then, so obviously the next big turning point was me getting the registration and mm-hmm. getting the, the, the content that I have created, mm-hmm. you know, approved and, mm-hmm. and, and everything like that. And for those people who are listening who aren't really familiar with what an RTO is, yeah. uh, just talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So an RTO stands for Registered Training Organisation. Um, when you're an RTO, what that means that you're being regulated um, and by the um, Department of um, Education and Training in Australia mm-hmm. um, um, and also ASQA, um, so that you can provide what's called a nationally recognised course, so an accredited course, mm-hmm. which has the Australian um, government's um, national recognised stamped on the certificate Mm -hmm. so that once you complete training you do the assessment the rto can then issue that certificate that Mm -hmm. certificate that qualification um and then you can use that qualification to 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 prove that you've got the skills and find a job basically sure yeah okay and uh, at that time it was a fairly emerging industry wasn't it um, at the time of i became an rto yeah yeah um back then um the, the RTO space was not, um, I entered in as an international competitor. Mm-hmm. So I entered into the um, international education space. What that means is that offering education to students who have came from um, overseas, outside yeah. of Australia, uh-huh. into Australia and study. So um, competition is not as fierce 
um, then as compared to now. But right. um, there, it, it was emerging. There was um, trans- transitioning. Um, um, there was a lot of new entrants mm-hmm. and yeah. Okay, so you go out, you try and create partnerships. Yes. They're not interested. No, not your interested. Your students inspire you to go and you know be the master of your own destiny. Yes. And uh, so you achieve your RTO status. Yes. And so what happened from there? Well, what happened from there was that things were still very tough because I'm a new brand mm-hmm. in the RTO space, in the nationally recognised education space. Um, again, I went out um, door knocked myself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, a lot of business partners, agencies um, to to pitch my brand to them. Mm-hmm. Um, not no luck whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I tried to um, set up articulation agreements with um, a lot of universities. Um, again, um, they said that um, until you give us volume, we're right. not going to look at any sure. agreements whatsoever with you. Um, and the, um, and the funny thing is now they're all coming to me to say that, can we please have articulation mm-hmm. agreements? Um, so it was very difficult. I remember I was able to um, persuade one student who then persuaded, it was through referral. Mm-hmm. It was through my tutoring student. Mm-hmm. So my student who were tutoring refer students to me who was interested in the diploma of marketing that I offered under my RTO at the time. Um, and then that student referred two more. So really I had a little three-person class mm-hmm. um, where um, I basically take care of top to bottom needs, mm-hmm. academic, non-academic. And word of mouth mm-hmm. grew. And then I was op- I was able to open a, a, a larger class, one larger class um, of um, 12. And then that 12 grew to 25. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and then I ran out of space and then... I had to um, hire another trainer to get another class going, right. and etc. and etc. So that grew quite exponentially mm-hmm. um, through word of mouth, simply mm-hmm. through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just before getting to that, to go back to you going out and trying to set up these partnerships and so on, yeah. the resistance, how much of it was due to, you think, uh, a lack of awareness and ignorance about what was happening in the industry and in relation to new models of education provision and so on. And how much of it do you think was due to the fact that, you know, you're a young Chinese lady, <laughs> yep. you know, who's largely calling on institutions which are run by, you know, older yes. white men? Yes. Did you, did you sort of perceive that as, you know, being uh, a roadblock for you or...? Absolutely, and I can prove it because right. I later got, you know, uh, a, a different person other right. than me to pitch the brand, and they were and they got a response. Okay, right. <laughs> anyway, um, but um, I think both. Right. We and were, so did yeah. you get energy from that in terms of, I'll show you... Absolutely. Right. <laughs> that actually, that's what turned me on, <laughs> switched me on, sorry. Um, and I, I, I said... Wow, these people are not getting that digital is the way to go. Yeah. Online's the way to go. These people are not recognizing that um, I'm able to deliver, mm-hmm. and it's a matter of quality, not quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said that one day I'll prove you wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. So then it starts to snowball. Yeah. Uh, you have a class. You need another class, etc. How much of that was planned versus you were just reacting? to you know what became you know a, 
just it got its own momentum. Okay, so in my life, I've always planned ahead. Mm -hmm. So when I was um, 14, for example, I knew that um, by the age of 18 or 19, I wanted to go to the US. So mm -hmm. I started planning at 14 right. to save for 19. And um, when I start, uh, I um, decided I want to do something, mm -hmm. uh, for example, start my own business, mm -hmm. and I decided I wanted to go into education, I made, a f normally I make five to ten year plans right. ahead. So definitely to answer your question, it was planned growth. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just reacting or naturally. I used a lot of strategy to leverage mm -hmm. um, resources mm -hmm. so that I could um, sustain my growth. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and that orientation to being very future focused and quite strategic yes where did that come from do you think you know how did you develop that within yourself I think it's an um, when you experience a pain mm -hmm. and um, that you're determined to solve it and do something about it mm -hmm. that is what drives you mm. so I felt the pain in um, back then in the education system yeah I know it's a real pain mm -hmm. I know the pain and the need has not been met. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I wanted to play a role in meeting those needs. Okay. And that's what drove me. All right, yeah. so things are starting to move along now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're growing your footprint and you're growing the number of students that you're working with and so on. And, and what was the, the next major milestone from there? So from moving on as of today or, or like of current? When you were talking oh, from, uh, from there, you said, uh, you know, I achieved my uh, RTO status, yes. I started a class, it got popular, I started a second class, yes. and, and so what from that point, what happened from there? Yes, so I wanted to um, create a multicultural environment, mm -hmm. so from um, a cohort of only um, Chinese students, mm -hmm. I grew, my plan was to grow, um, grow by nations, so okay. added more diversity. Right to the campus. Okay. So today we've got, um, you know, if I just had a look at our database. Although a lot of students do come from Asia, but mm -hmm. we do have students coming from more than 30, 40 countries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got South American students okay. and we've got, yeah, a, a huge diverse, um, and we've got local students and it, it's a good melting pot. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was a part of the strategy to diversify risk. Mm -hmm. My strategy had been that let me serve the international students first. Mm -hmm. um, I love, um, I basically love meeting different people from different cultures. I really enjoy that mm -hmm. complex, diverse, you know, it is very complex meeting the needs of sure. all nations, you know, like the culture needs, the mm -hmm. academic needs, everyone is so different. Um, and so, so my strategic move was do that and then tap into the domestic market. Mm -hmm. So that's always been my strategy move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so here we are today, you yeah. know, two campuses and, uh, and a very uh, robust business. Tell yep. us, you know, when you're looking out to the future, mm. you know, what are some of the things that you're wanting HETC to grow to in the, uh, over, say, the next five to ten years? Yes. So one thing that... Um, um, people who knows me knows that is that I don't like to follow the mainstream. Right. Right. So right now, um, all the RTOs or universities, 
they want to grow the business in terms of um, setting up physical campuses. Right. Right. At to as many cities and mm-hmm. corners as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, I that's where everyone is heading, and everyone is heading um, nationally recognised accredited courses. Going, um, everyone is relying on on um, the ASCRA framework and things like that. But where I see, I would be very happy, and I would call HTTC successful if in five to 10 years time that we develop our own accreditation mm-hmm. so we don't come under any roof, we in fact develop a move towards lifelong learning mm-hmm. through small chunks of learning throughout the day and drive people's habits and behaviors mm-hmm. through those, through technology mm-hmm. and make, it, make a lot of things freely accessible mm-hmm. to anyone around the world. For them to access knowledge, mm-hmm. access resources, um, and more to that, my huge passion comes from. I call it double C. So one C is capability. Mm-hmm. So what um, RTOs and universities are doing these days, all across the world, is they're building capability. The first C. Mm-hmm. But what are they? They're not doing and not focusing on and not. St- not really they think about it and then and then and then they said yeah okay it's good to have but then they don't it's character is the other C right. so I'm super super passionate about um, driving that move movement. So what do you mean by character character means that okay for example you can be very capable smart intelligent you know how to mm-hmm. to build businesses but at the same time, you can be this one person who never helped a single person in your life, okay. who have 10 Porsche cars in your right. garage, and you don't care about anyone else, mm-hmm. um, and you don't, don't, and you, and if you do make contribution, it would, it, it would be because you want the title and the mm-hmm. fame for it. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the education system today is molding very capable, mm-hmm. very, very capable individuals. Mm-hmm. Focus on building skills, knowledge, etc., etc., but is not aware that character. It is mm. so important. It's like your capability is like the diamond on your ring. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a strong holder to hold the diamond, mm-hmm. you're gonna f- fall out of your mm-hmm. ring, and you're gonna be lost. Mm-hmm. It's a um, uh, you know quite a insightful perspective, and I've never mm. heard anybody present it quite that way. But mm. I completely agree with you. Mm. How much of that do you think comes from you know the fact that you've got quite a strong you know Christian spiritual orientation? I think it definitely have um, contributed to to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, um, is that I have experienced the so-called success mm-hmm. in terms of. You know um, that I can buy anything I want, pre- pretty much, and, and mm-hmm. stuff. But then it's all empty. Mm-hmm. It is all hollow. It's not meaningful. Mm. Um, and I see a lot of people, even my business partners, who you know, business is probably like tenfold as compared to mine. Right. They still go after those things. Right. It's never enough. Right. I remember sitting um, in front of a lot of entrepreneurs, and they're talking about a topic: when is enough enough? And mm-hmm. when they talk about those things, they talk about monetary extrinsic mm-hmm. uh, measurements. Mm-hmm. Which then I jump in and I said. 
to me enough is when I I have created a platform which is able to help one billion people. Mm-hmm. That is enough. So my success is not measured by, you know, oh, when I make this much money, then mm. that's be that will be success. Um, I see. I hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about, you know, um, if I could. Um, own the whole island, yeah. that will be a success. Or sure. if I can, you know, own uh, about 10 towers in right. that district. Very topical at the moment to talk about this with uh, Mr. Trump, becoming <laughs> the uh, president of the US. And uh, yeah. yeah, I heard a story recently which uh, relates very nicely to this. You might have heard it before. Uh, this guy was talking about how uh, if you want to, you can go out to catch butterflies. And yeah. butterflies be you going mm. and chasing money, mm. you know. And so you can buy a better net you can learn how to run faster, you can hide better so that you can catch more butterflies. Yes. And you're constantly chase, chase, chase. Or instead, you can build a beautiful garden Mm. and allow the butterflies to come to you. Yes. And I think that's such a powerful metaphor for business. Yes. In that, uh, going back to what you're talking about is, you know, you're building a garden here, you're building a community, you're being of service. Yes. Um, Your orientation is... uh, you know, for the betterment of humanity. Yes. And the, the, the success is coming. Yes, and, and uh, yes, I actually can validate that. That is, is my passion because even when I go to business partner, um, partnership meetings, mm-hmm. network meetings, when business partners want to, for example, um, one of a very reputable um, government, government um, official in China, uh, 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 approached me and said, "Hey, you know, we could make so much money together," but then um, he doesn't know that that doesn't really motivate me. Mm-hmm. But then I was able to explain to him that um, I would only at this stage in my life I would only be you would only lit up my eyes and spark my passion if you mention the word access accessibility to disadvantaged mm-hmm. group of people in mm-hmm. China. And so what I've made him promise me is that if he was really interested to work with me and he wanted me to drive um, the education, uh, a certain type of education movement in, in one of the very, um, the third biggest province in China, um, I said then he would have to donate one building in his campus um, to, to anyone that um, is eligible for the scholarship and mm-hmm. funding, mm-hmm. and that means that it doesn't matter where they're from, what background they have, how poor they are, that he must accommodate and educate those children, mm-hmm. you know, um, if they fit the criteria. Mm. Um, and he looked at me in shock and said, "How old are you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know? And 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 he said that that's the first time that anyone any business partner in his whole entire life and this this is the man I, I think he's about 55 or something mm-hmm. very highly reputable and very powerful in China um, he said this is the first time in my life ever that somebody have used that as the prerequisite for working right. <laughs> with me and, and was he uh, accommodating of that he yes we are working towards that oh, you know great. there's a lot of negotiations and stuff mm-hmm. like that but and obviously um, you can't change a person's perspective overnight mm-hmm. but um, I'm trying to get him to taste a little bit of 
the goodness of the sense of tr intrinsic um, achievement mm -hmm. from helping people who will not have any chance of getting access of those kind of support mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. his support. Yeah. So I'm trying to make make him um, become exposed to that type of um, happiness, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And that is a big part of the future of your business, isn't it? You're wanting yes. to uh, go into uh, third world impoverished countries and mm. bring education, not just China, but at many countries. Absolutely. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Well, my vision is um, transform one country at a time uh -huh. um, through many, many different strategies that I have, which um, I could go on all day about it, right. so I'm probably not going into detail. That can be podcast number two. <laughs> <laughs> or two to a hundred. Right. <laughs> but um, in a nutshell, um, I am um, building self-sustainable technical centres mm -hmm. um, or in, you know, um, planning to expand in um, in terms of number and size in those technical centres to to help um, different generations in in different countries. One of the country that I believe I've spoken to you, um, Richard, previously was um, Cambodia, and a lot of um, a lot of people ask me why why Cambodia, why not China? Because you're from China, mm -hmm. or why not Africa or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I said they're coming. Don't right. worry. Um, but the only reason that attracted me to have the urgency to to do something is because um, that 11 to 12 percent of the population of the total population of Cambodia are orphans. Mm -hmm. These are children under 15, mm -hmm. and I have a huge, huge, huge heart, huge, tremendous heart I, uh, for children. I just, I just cannot stop thinking about how I could help mm -hmm. um, them. Um, so, um, and a lot of um, um, those children um, by the age of 13, so as soon as they get um, to 13, they get sold as child laborers to mm -hmm. to the countries nearby. And that's, and therefore I need to do something about it. I need to stop this. Mm -hmm. um, I need to um, figure out a way, a smart way, mm to save these children so that um, these children are not lost. Imagine um, being an orphan from young mm -hmm. on the street um, and then being sold at 13. Um, you don't have any identity. The country of Cambodia don't have any identity mm -hmm. because of what they had to go through. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lost generation. So mm. I really want to see... Um, I really want to see something turn around there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting what a critical part education plays in repairing and restoring a lot of these situations. Yes. Uh, uh, because when somebody is better educated, they're more valuable, so there's less likelihood, I imagine, that those you know um, being sold into labour would happen. Is that pretty much the philosophy? Well, I want to build them to be people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, Yes, um, to that um, description. Um, you see, if those kids can um, be raised in an environment where they've got a platform mm -hmm. to know how to voice out their opinions, to know how to turn their ideas into execution, into actual, you know, self-sustainable things, mm -hmm. um, then there will be people that's capable, the first thing, and then I want to build character. Now, these kids are just, they... they you, yes, they are disadvantaged. Yes, they've gone through a lot, but 
that builds towards their character. They're mm. very appreciative of things. They're very switched on about opportunities because there is so no opportunities that, you know, um, and they want to grab every opportunity. They want to learn. You know, they will look at, um, you know, a, a set of flashcards, for example, we give them and they will not take it for granted they will mm-hmm. sleep with it they will look at it right. they will study it you know so um it 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 molds them um into capable thinkers mm-hmm. that knows how to get themselves out of poverty and trouble mm-hmm. like the way that i the situation that i was mm. in um i'm more fortunate because i still have shelter yes Right, and that's one of the things that I'm building for those kids is shelter and Mm -hmm. also um, training technical centres. So we were heavily in debt, had no idea um, um, what to do with my family and I had to figure something out because my parents were not capable Mm -hmm. of figuring something out. They were going to go on forever with this same Mm -hmm. thing that they're trying to do and just work harder. Um, so I was able to, to, to find a way to save me and my family. I want these kids to have the same capabilities that of not giving up, having the confidence and know that there is a way. Don't mm. give up, there is a way. And with the power of one, if, you know, I could do it with one, but these kids, they live together, you mm. know, in the same um, dormitory. They, they can discuss ideas from young. Their ideas will be validated through HETC, will support their ideas and will nurture them, you know, mm. and we will bring them over um, when they get to a legitimate age where Australia allows them to come over mm-hmm. and further their studies here and then they will go back and they will impact more lives. They will build more centres. Mm-hmm. They will live on the legacy. That's what I want to create—a a positive, recurring momentum to build well, people of capability and character. It's a very yeah. powerful vision. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I imagine your mum and Thank dad you. must be uh, very proud of you. They—they they are. They are, and 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 I'm um, I'm very I'm um, proud proud of them for for bringing me here, giving me the opportunity so well, that I could. That's excellent. Yeah. So. Before we wind up this conversation, because I know you're a very busy lady, we've talked a lot about uh, your work today and your yes. background and so on, but when you're not working in your five or seven jobs, what are the kind of things that you enjoy doing uh, yep. to keep you uh, fresh and motivated? Yes. So um, I have um, you know, a, a family with three young boys, Right. Um, one five years old, uh-huh. the other one three and a half, and the other one just turned nine months. Right. Um, so I keep, um, I they're my basically um, whole world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time on my weekends and out of work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they need a lot of my attention and, and I need right. a lot of their attention sure. as well. So I spend time pretty much with family. Um, and um, I, but I love watching movies. Okay. I love um, love watching movies. Love um, playing table tennis. Right. As a sport, I love board games. Okay. Love board games, and I just love um, going into um, a quiet space. For example, a library of mm-hmm. such. Um, hopefully, I I love um, the library. Um, near Southbank, oh, next yes. to the museum, the state library, the state library yeah. because it's really nice and quiet, it's a good view and you can have a cup of coffee and you mm-hmm. can just 
sit there and just brainstorm and 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 go wild with mm-hmm. your ideas right you know and I, I love that so I do I am a person that I need that quiet time mm-hmm. from time to time mm-hmm. yeah okay well Nina I really appreciate you taking the opportunity to talk to us and as you say we could probably talk for hours and hours about all yeah. kinds of interesting topics including uh, great movies but uh, <laughs> I'll let you get on with your day and have a fantastic afternoon thank you Richard thank you very much Well, thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Nina. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.